This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry-defeating, circumstance-defying happiness. Written by pastor and best-selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, welcome to The Table Podcast. My name is Bill Hendricks. I am the Executive Director for Christian Leadership, and I want to welcome you today. We hear a lot about a term called employee engagement in the work world since the year 2000, the Gallup organization has polled American workers and, frankly, workers around the world studying what they call employee engagement, which means the extent to which people feel connected to their work, that their work matters, that it has meaning to, to them, that they, frankly, uh, look forward to doing the work because they find it so meaningful. Uh, the statistics show that roughly 30% of American workers are engaged with their work. They do have that sense of connection. But what that means is that 70% are what Gallup calls not engaged, which means their work is just a job. It's just a paycheck. It's just a way to pay the bills. Their heart is not in the work. And of those 70%, uh, there's a segment that uh, nets out to roughly uh, 18% who are called actively disengaged. These are people that are mad about it. They, they hate their job. And they actually undermine the work that many of the engaged workers do. Well, our good friend Steve Ramzur uh, down in San Antonio has told me that this is not really so much about employee engagement. I mean, it is about that, but that's the business jargon. What this is really about from a theological perspective is human flourishing. The idea that humans were put here to thrive. Of course, we know that we experienced the fall, and as a result, sin has invaded the workplace with the result that many, many workers, perhaps worldwide it's 87%, are not at all uh, happy about having to go to work. And so today we have Robert McFarlane with us, who's going to uh, help us look into this matter because through his consulting practice, uh, Transformational Impact, he works with businesses all across the country around this whole issue of how to build cultures where people thrive. Robert, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks so much, Bill. Glad to be here with you. I'm very glad you joined us. Uh, Robert has put this together in a book that uh, we're going to reference quite a bit called Dear Boss, What Your Employees Wish You Knew. Uh, so if you've got uh, people uh, re uh, reporting to you, you're a supervisor, a manager, an executive, a CEO, whatever, this is a book you want to pick up. Uh, Robert, before we get into all of this uh, employee engagement and culture and all that, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, where did you grow up and what was college and, and ultimately how did you get into this line of work? Sure enough. Yeah, I uh, grew up all over as a, a kid with who had a, a military father and then uh, involved in academia and then involved in insurance. And so that took us in 
different places around the country. Um, but I spent most of my time on the East Coast. Uh, don't hold it against me, though. Uh, and uh, New England as well as sure. in Virginia. So that's that's where I've ended up. I went to college at the University of Virginia. Met my bride there. That's the best thing that ever happened to me. Absolutely. Uh, was uh, finding the Lord at UVA and finding my wife at UVA. So that's uh, really made me pretty much who I am today. And so did you major in business, or how did, you, how did your interest in the business world come about? Really kind of a, a roundabout way, actually. I was more into communications, mm-hmm. and, and that ended up putting me more into a career within the nonprofit world, uh, and really wanting to be, as you were talking about in terms of engagement, really wanted to make sure that what I was doing really mattered. And so I wanted to make sure I followed my, my passion, and so I was engaged at what I did and, and was very excited about, about that whole world. I ended up transitioning more into a consulting arrangement, uh, working with different nonprofits and such in terms of helping them function better, and then trans- transition that over into working with businesses because I realized that the business world really needed to have that kind of connection. Just as you said, the, the fact that employee engagement is so low, uh, granted, it's, it's worse worldwide, but here in the United States, it's still pretty abysmal. 70%. Yeah, exactly. And the fact is that without that kind of connection to the work itself, that we really are not allowing uh, our professions, where we spend so much of our time, to really be glorifying God to the, to the point that they could be. And so I, I see the whole idea of increasing employee engagement really is kind of a mission, uh, just to really see how we can help that arena of, of life become so much more fulfilled, as you said, human flourishing, and helping that become what it can be. Well, I know that you and I sh- share a lot in common, but I know that some of our listeners uh, either will be thinking or they will know people who think, as soon as they hear this conversation, what do you mean work is a curse? I mean, you're not supposed to like it. That's why they call it work. Well, that's actually interesting. If you look in the Scripture that uh, God said to, to Adam, really, to to cultivate the garden, and then the then sin entered, and then the ground was cursed. The, the ground was cursed after uh, the sin, which, which took place then after he was commissioned to work the ground. So, so really, work was there long before – well, actually, we don't know how long, but, but it, was, uh, it was there right before. Right from the beginning. The yeah, exactly. So really, the work is really who we are. It's, it's, it, well, not to say that we need to take our identity from it, but it is an expression, mm-hmm. an, an opportunity for us to express who we are and how God has made us and how we are to, to exist in the world. Yeah, the way I like to say it is that, uh, you know, the very first command that God gives to human beings is in regards to their work. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, rule over it, cause the world to be fruitful. You know, the world on its own is not particularly fruitful. It just gives us raw resources. Yes. You know, I've, I've never stood next to a mountain, you know, that has ore in it. And by golly, out pops a Mercedes-Benz. I've never seen that happen. No, only humans can add value to the world and its resources to create cars and roads and gasoline, and as well as all the occupations that uh, educate those workers and take care of their medical needs and, and, and raise the food that they need to eat and take care of their spiritual needs. Uh, God wants us to make this world and its people to thrive and to flourish, to make us fruitful. And so uh, what you're trying to do is that very thing. Now why then do you – well, let me back up. 
you did some research, as I understand it, to write this book. Yes. In which you discovered what to me seemed like some pretty disturbing statistics around uh, how people perceive their boss and the nature of their work as well. Tell us about that research and what you discovered. Sure enough. Yeah, in writing this book, I commissioned uh, a firm to go out uh, to 589 people around the country. So this isn't just anecdotal evidence. Oh, no. This is really hard data. Uh, And so I went out to these different people and, and really trying to make sure that it was as representative as we could make it. I mean, granted, it was, an, it was done online, so there's there's some some sure. biases that are going to occur there, understood. But nonetheless, uh, it was still we still had representation around the country, different socioeconomic status, different uh, ethnicities, um, and and so taking all that into consideration, really looking to see. Uh, what are the concerns out there? So basically, other than the demographic data, there was one open-ended question in which I asked, which was, what is the one thing you wish your boss knew that they might not already know? All right. So, so with that, what's that one thing? What's that top-of-mind thing? And what was interesting is other than the 26% who said nothing to the survey and the, and the 8% who said, well, I'm not really sure, there was only 4% of the respondents who said something other than the four major concerns that popped from the research. So four, four came out. Yeah, four, four and, big themes. And those four were? Well, the top one at 17% was insufficient appreciation. Hmm. Uh, then there was a three-way tie for second place at 15% with inadequate morale, uh, incompetent management and uh, improper communication. So really, it, it boils down to appreciation, morale, uh, management, and then communication. So where did you go with this research when you discovered this? Well, what I did was I looked at this and I said, you know, this is a this is a problem we see here uh, that because it really corresponded with what uh, with what you had said about the Gallup's research. Mm -hmm. In fact, one thing I found in the 2017 State of the American Workplace report that Gallup put out was a statement by the chairman of the board and CEO of Gallup, uh, Jim Clifton. Mm -hmm. And Jim Clifton said this, this these are not my words, these are Jim Clifton's words. He said that the very practice of management no longer works. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And I just, it was just hidden away in this, in this big, long report. It no I, longer works because it's outdated, or it no longer works because it's become dysfunctional? Or well, I'm not exactly sure all the context in which he meant it, but... It's not working. Yeah, it's not working, you know? Yeah. And so it, since, since it seems to be broke, I mean, let's fix it. So really, that's what the rest of the book is really about, is, okay, if this leadership paradigm, this managing paradigm that we have as, as bosses what needs to shift for us to be able to increase employee engagement? We, we can't say to our employees, well, you're not getting it. Because really, you know, that's kind of like, all right, uh, uh, the the beatings will continue until morale improves. I mean, you, you, you can't right. say that. I mean, you got to right. – there's because really, as to, to quote uh, John Maxwell, you know, everything rises and falls in leadership. So, so what do we as leaders, what do we as managers need to do to really bring, bring out the best in our people? Um, and so to, to go back to your whole idea of human flourishing, we need to have a different model. We need to have a different leadership model. So the, the concept I put forward in the book is the idea of active leadership. That's a term that I, I used. And it really describes a four, the four tenets of active leadership which address the four concerns from the research. And so the, the four tenets of active leadership would be 
tenderness. Well, I know that's a, a funny word to use we'll in, a, in, a, to in, a, in a business context, but uh, tenderness, and then team, and then trust, and then transparency. So that addresses the issues of, of appreciation, morale, management, and communication. So, so that's really what most of the book is about, is really what does that need to look like? What, what do we as leaders need to be focusing on uh, be, to be able to bring out the best in our people? Because I, I believe the whole idea of, of employee engagement really is more or less a spiritual mandate uh, for us to take the scriptures. I mean, those of us who, who believe that, uh, that, uh, that the Lord is on his throne, that it is our responsibility those of us who occupy the seats of management and leadership to really take this as a mantle upon ourselves to see how can we unleash the the the, the passions within people to make them really for human flourishing for their good and for everybody else's i couldn't agree with you more it is true that god has given this world uh, of wonderful resources to human beings it's also the case that to every human being god has given a, a means of adding value to the resources of the world and its people so that they would flourish. Uh, in my work, we call this your giftedness. Every human being has some form of giftedness that, that essentially drives their behavior. And uh, uh, this is really what you're tapping into when you talk about bringing out the best in people. Uh, the reason somebody puts joy and heart into their work, uh, like those engaged employees, is because it, it dovetails with how they're designed by God, and they're able to express that which God has gifted them to do. Uh, this is why job fit is so important, and I'm sure you run into that a lot. People who are li literally the, 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 the square peg in a round hole are trying to be, and, the, and they're not happy, and their boss is not happy, and yet they're, well, we're paying you, so get the job done. And it, it, it just doesn't work. Um, and, 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 you know, Colossians 3 says, uh, that we should put heart into our work. Do you work heartily? Well, I believe it's a lot easier to put heart into your work when the work actually fits who you are. That's and, right. Uh, uh, but I, I would – before we get into your four uh, – the, the tenderness and the team and the trust and the transparency, which I want to talk more about, um, I, guess, I guess it comes down to, in part, a leader actually caring about the people. From one point of view, people are just – I mean, they're there to get the work done, and uh, why should I really care whether they like doing the work or not doing the work? That's a really good point, and actually that dovetails into the four points I was uh, talking about earlier. Uh, the whole idea of the, the point of tenderness really can break down to more or less the golden rule. I mean, so if you as a leader and you're a manager to think, well, why should I bother to care about the people that are in my the, that are working for me? Why do I need to make sure that they're feeling... Um, cared for. Yeah. Why, why do I need to concern about. about that? Or, yeah. yeah. Is the fact of, all right, from a scriptural admonition, you want to treat others the way that you would want them to treat you if the situation were reversed. That's that's really, I think, a scriptural mandate on that. Um, and so then also within that same context, uh, you were talking about adding value. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're really concerned about adding value, and that seems to be a huge business mantra that everyone's yes. concerned about making sure that we're adding value. Well, here's a simple, cheap, relatively easy way to add value. Because as you said, to really awaken the human soul in a context of, of them feeling of connected enough to the work that they're doing that they feel like that 
they are glorifying God in terms of how they're able to function, even if they're not necessarily believers, but to feel that they are excited, impassioned to do the work that they've been given. What a great way to glorify God, to treat the people who are working for you, even if they're not believers, in a way that would honor their Creator. Well, I I just want to point out for our listeners the significance of what you've just said, because as I understand you, what you're saying is that anybody who has people reporting to them, whether you're a senior-level executive, a mid-level manager, or a line supervisor, if you have people reporting to you, you literally have an opportunity to affect their very souls by the way you structure that work, because to the extent that you... uh, set it up for them to thrive, that affects everything about their life. Uh, If they come to work and they feel like their work uh, is noticed and matters to the enterprise and therefore they're valued, if they uh, find that when they uh, get along with their coworkers and even when they have disagreements, they're they're resolved in a civil way, uh, their boss treats them fairly, um, they take all that home and it, it affects the whole climate of the home, as you said, it doesn't matter whether they yet have a relationship with Christ or not, just their whole outlook on life is improved. Conversely, and this is where we see the Gallup 70% statistic, if you go to work and you don't find any meaning in the job, and frankly, you don't even know if the company cares you're doing it, um, you don't get along with your coworkers, uh, your boss uh, treats you awful. I mean, you take all that home, and then you are mean to your spouse, and you are mean to your kids, you kick the dog, and, and you narcotize that pain through all kinds of terrible habits, and it poisons all, all the community. Absolutely. That, that is so true. And, and so what, the point I like to make about this whole thing is that you or we as managers have the opportunity uh, to really be causing ripple effects. Hmm. Um, and as a leader has that kind of... Everyone in their circle of influence is affected by the things that they do. So, and therefore, the power that that a leader has over those in their charge is is pretty powerful. It's just as you said. I mean, the fact that you were able to unleash that human flourishing for them, not just at the job, mm. but it, it it ripples it ripple effects. Um, any anybody who has any contact with that. Those employees, whether that be vendors, that be suppliers, that well, certainly be customers, customers, absolutely, the whole customer experience is is it, it's palpable. You can feel it. I'm not going to name names here, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there's certain airlines that you can get on, and it's a joy to be on the plane. And it's a mundane kind of thing. They're moving weight from one part of the country to That's the right. other. That's you exactly and your bags, right? right? But they've made such a, a fun experience out of it that you actually kind of enjoy it. Conversely, I was on a plane on a different airline coming back from the West Coast uh, not too long ago. And about halfway back to Dallas, I looked around at all the other passengers and at the flight attendants, and I couldn't see the pilots. But I could hear what the pilot had said and the way they had said it uh, as we were you know, topping out. And I thought, you know, there's not a single person that wants to be on this plane. Nobody on this plane is having a good time. 
Yeah. And it was sad. It is sad. Because really, and where does that all start? Are the flight attendants choosing to have a bad day or the are the no. are the the pilots choosing to have a bad day? No, no. it's just, it all flows from leadership. And right. and so that that tone that is set at the leadership level has that ripple effect and comes down and then it affects you as a passenger and affects everybody else. And then it to, to to follow on what you said about, you know, the whole idea of kicking the dog, you know, that right. It, it goes home. I mean, Absolutely. and that we're able to affect people's homes, we're able to affect people's communities based on the decisions that we make as leaders to activate or not the people in our employ. It, it, well, it, and it has generational effect. Yes. Uh, I'm one of the few people I know whose dad loved his work. Our listeners may know that my dad taught here at Dallas Seminary for 60 years, and he didn't like everything, you know, about being a professor in an institution, but I'll tell you one thing, he enjoyed every minute in the classroom. You know, he used to say, I love to teach, I live to teach, why I'd teach whether or not they'd pay me to teach, and then he'd usually do an aside. Now, don't tell the seminary that. You know? <laughs> but, but I mean, it was true. And yeah. so I grew up where work was always a positive category for me, but I had a lot of friends who you'd, you'd find out what their dads did uh, and moms for work. And you could tell right off the bat, work was a negative category, and they went into the work world assuming this was going to be a bad news item. Right. And, and, and instead of – and so therefore, they approach it with kind of a win-lose mentality. Yes. Right. That, that therefore, um, I, I have to just try to minimize how much I lose – and try to make it sure I win as much as I can. Exactly. However, what with the whole idea of human flourishing, it can be a win-win situation. Instead of claiming value on that continuum, we can create the value. And that goes back to the whole idea of the adding value concept. And and it really comes down to a a uh, a concept. It's not like it's necessarily. You know, it, it could be adding uh, dollars to your budget in terms of how you how you do this, but. It's really a lot of it is the intangible stuff that can be really incorporated into uh, how we do things. So culture matters, in other words. Culture matters. Corporate culture matters. Absolutely, and in so many ways. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Um, well, I, I love this word tenderness, and I realize that you, you've got this alliteration going. The word that occurred to me when I read the book and, and came to that a synonym would be compassion. Yeah. In that it, it's clear that you actually care about the people. That doesn't mean that um, you never have to come down hard on somebody or, or, or shoot straight with them, but it means that you do so in a civil way and in a, in a Christ-like way that 
retains their dignity as a, as a person. Well, you know, it's interesting in the New Testament the, where the, one of the places the word compassion comes up is that, remember that there's a, a rich young ruler, so we could we could call them a you know a, a senior executive type person. Right. Uh, certainly, a person of affluence comes to Jesus and uh, asks him, you know, what must I do to be saved? And you know, he 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 says, follow the you know love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, and and it says that Jesus felt compassion for him, mm. like he he saw him as a person. One of the great problems in the work world today is that we don't see people as persons; we see them as a means to an end, as employees, uh, as just people to get our work done, instead of noticing that there's a human soul there. A soul, frankly, for whom Christ paid his life because of his compassion. And so what I hear you saying is that the place leadership has to begin is from a place of, frankly, love or compassion that I really care that God's put these people in my path. Uh, one, of the, one of the key pieces in that, you said, was that the leaders are showing what you describe as tenderness or a kind of compassion. They care about the workers, and I think you were going to tell me a story to illustrate that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there was a, a time about 16 years ago, um, my father passed away, and, and so obviously it's a difficult time sure. personally, and then it just it affects everything. It affects you, how you work, it affects Huge. everything. Um, and but my place of employment was very sympathetic and to what I was going through. They even had time for a bereavement leave, so which was very helpful. Um, but And then after the, the funeral, which had taken place in Atlanta, we ended up having a, uh, a, a time for local family in the D.C. area to – and also friends and church uh, – people to come and just uh, give their well wishes, uh, you know, for people mm-hmm. who weren't able to come down to Atlanta for the funeral. And uh, I just remember people were coming and going, just constant activity, just having to go to the, the door constantly to go open the – to uh, welcome more people coming in. But I'll never forget one time I went and opened that door, and there standing on the doorstep was my boss. Wow. wow. And, and here he was, out of work hours. He came to show up to say he was concerned about me. He didn't have to do that. Um, and here it is, 16 years later, I still remember that. Uh, so it, that's the kind of thing, yeah, it takes a little bit of time. Um, and yes, maybe you lose a couple hours in a night that you wouldn't have ordinarily and that you'd have to restructure your evening. Well, what you but, really... but what, what it did for me as, on the receiving end was something, a story I could tell 16 years later like it was yesterday. And what you're really describing there is the power of a leader who really is investing yes. in their people. Absolutely. It's not just oh, as, as a formality, as a courtesy, as a you know, a part of my job. I got to make, I got to show up at this guy's house, say a few words. And, no, no, no. It's like, and I know you're going through a tough time. Right. Just the power of my presence shows you, I want to help you be a better person, mm-hmm. a better human being. As a result of being in my life, absolutely, and it's it's something that that we can forget how much just the simple words that we say have. I mean, how that can how that really can affect people. And so, one of the things I talk in the book about is is the process of active leadership. Really, what is yeah. that? What does that entail? What is active leadership? And really, it comes down to the kind of thinking and the words and the actions that we have. Um, and how we can use them to bring out the best in the people around us. So 
because it goes back to the whole idea of human flourishing. I mean, making sure that we are really investing ourselves intentionally in terms of the people around us so that they can become at their best. Yeah, I think intentionally is the operative word. Yes. What you're describing here is it's a, it's a great you know, concept to think, okay, God wants us to cause the world and his people to flourish. That's wonderful. But what you're describing is, all right, let's take that and let's be intentional. How do we make that actually happen at the place where we have influence over what happens if we're in leadership there? And we, we talked about how it begins with tenderness, and, and you have these other three, team, trust, and transparency. How does this now eventuate in, into team? Well, the whole idea of team is really making sure that everybody on the team is really able to perform at a, at a, at a level where they are con- positively contributing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in writing the book, I had the opportunity to interview Mike Houston. And you may not know who Mike Houston, oh. especially down here in Texas, uh, where football is king. But uh, in my area of Shenandoah Valley, uh, Mike Houston's a hero because uh, he brought the James Madison University Dukes to the FCS National Championship. Mm. Okay, that's a big deal that's where I'm at. That's a big deal, so, right. And, and anyway, uh, but what's more significant is the fact that he did that as his first year as head coach. Wow. When the team had not performed at that level in about a dozen years. So it tells you quite a turnaround. Exactly. So you. So what did he do? Exactly. So I thought, well, what did he do? So I asked Mike. I said, Mike, how did you do that in your first year as head coach? And he said that it was important for everybody there to on the team to be able to perform, and everyone on the team had to be dependable in their role, and everyone had to also be accountable to everybody else. Mm. So setting that kind of tone as a leader to make sure that everybody is able, dependable, and accountable is huge. I mean, and that is, that's a very intentional leader really saying, okay, how can I unleash the best in my team? I mean, Greg, and he's not giving anybody a pass. I mean, right. you know, football is not one of no, these kind right. of things that you can just say, well, let's just see how it turns out. You know, no, no. You, he was extremely intentional in creating that team and making it to be what it could be. And I think it's very important for us as leaders to do the same thing in terms of how can we deliberately create constructs within, within the, the, the workplace to be able to do that. So ability, I think in our culture, we, we tend to think, oh, we want the best players on our team. That'll make us winners. But you have these other two things in there, dependability. Mm-hmm. Reliability, I guess, is the way mm-hmm. you put it. You know, sometimes uh, ability is important, but sometimes what's more important is reliability. You know, we all know the superstar that that keeps dropping the ball. That that that, that doesn't do any good. We need somebody who catches the ball. Maybe they're not the superstar, but at least you can rely on them. You know, to hold on to it. But then that third piece was what interacting with the other team and and being a team player, as we would call it. Yeah, I mean, being willing to be held accountable. Okay, I, I think that's a huge thing, and and giving so that every, I live on behalf, I do my yeah. work on behalf of the rest of the team. Right, and, it's and, not just about me. Exactly, and, and I think that's a it's a powerful thing when we create an environment where we're giving everybody else permission to speak into our lives mm. about our performance on the job, not in a way to condemn, not in a way to uh, to point fingers, but to say, look, uh, you're part of the team, I'm part of the team. This is a problem. We need to fix it. You know, instead of just saying, you know, 
we're going to talk about it behind your back and we're just going to place them off as politics and we're trying to shut you out. No, let's respect each other enough to say, look, we have a problem. Let's deal with it and let's move on. Well, I can think of, uh, you know, one situation where it's the leader who, frankly, the team needs to hold accountable. That's got to be a relationship where they can speak honestly and give feedback to the leader without the leader uh, powering up on them. Exactly. So there's a humility involved there is what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that that's a huge part of being a good leader is humility and being able to be self-aware enough to say that I need to not let myself get in the way. I'm sure you've read Good to Great by Jim yes, Collins. And, right. and the whole idea of that level five leader having that uh, personal humility, but also that professional will um, and saying that, you know, the organization is more important here. It's not about me. All right. Just to take an aside here, I want to get your thoughts. There are some folks uh, in the Christian world who would say, you know, this conversation is interesting, but it's not particularly uh, helpful because you guys aren't quoting Bible verses, and you're just taking stuff that, you know, you mentioned Jim Collins. I mean, right. people out in the business world come up with research and whatnot, and you just import it, and, and how is that biblical? Well, I believe that we have a God that is the author of all truth. And therefore, all truth is God's truth. Mm -hmm. And whether I find that in the writings of Jim Collins or John Mackey or anybody else, it's still truth. It is not negated because it doesn't have thus saith the Lord in advance of it. Right. Um, so I, I, what I think is cool is when we can see God's truth showing up in business contexts, whatever they may be. And then for us to be able to point a flashlight on it, I mean, to shine the truth or shine God's uh, light on this to say, hey, here's an opportunity where we can put Scripture into practice mm. without necessarily saying that this is uh, – Chapter and verse. Exactly. Well, the way I would, would look at it is I, I, I believe that God has designed certain uh, – we might call them laws or principles into the fabric of how the world works. Exactly. Yep. And so, for instance, the golden rule. Right. You know, if, if we treat others the way we want to be treated, uh, we discover in the main that good things tend to happen. Uh, the whole principle of you reap what you sow. If exactly. you work hard mm -hmm. and you apply yourself, you know, sooner or later you're going to reap some good results out of that. And so when human beings uh, align themselves with those core foundational principles, they're kind of living out life the way God set it up to live out, and, and good stuff tends to happen. And if you do know your Bible, you can see in certain corporate value statements and, and certain ways that companies operate, you can see a, a principle that they hold to and say, why that's right out of, and then, and then here's a verse that that you know, applies to. Right, exactly. I mean, I, I think it's uh, pretty obvious that we don't really break the law. We just break ourselves upon the law hmm. um, so that God has put his truth into reality, into our existence. And if we go afoul of that, we're going to learn the hard way. And so, but when we are working in consonance with God's law, that's when the beauty happens. And I think this is helpful for many Christians who, uh, frankly, are a little nervous about, quote, um, trying to impose my faith in the work world. You know, we live in a very pluralistic culture. There's people with all kinds of different worldviews out there. 
you know, and, and who am I to, you know, impose the way I see life on these other people? Well, actually, uh, we have an advantage as believers because God has told us all this wonderful truth about the, the nature of human beings and what causes them to thrive. And so we, we don't have to quote Bible verses to practice what we would call kingdom values or biblical right. values. You know, we can treat people, for instance, civilly and be kind. And all the things that are mentioned in, say, Colossians 3, be tenderhearted. You, you have this value of tenderness there. Mm -hmm. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Well, that doesn't just apply at church. I need to be tenderhearted toward all of my coworkers, to all the people that report to me, to my customers. Uh, we, we can live out Christ without having to cite every chapter and verse of what drives our behavior. That's exactly right. And I, I think it's really helpful for us to think through that the more we put things into practice that go along with Scripture, then we can shine more of a light on, on God in the process. Well, and it, and it becomes attractive. I mean, I've yes. met people who have told me stories about how you know, they weren't believers and they went to work and, and it, was a, it was a very dysfunctional culture and people were backstabbing and all, all the problems that, that happened in, in workplaces and their boss was mean. And, and then they'll say, but there was this one manager. That's right. He, he was just the kindest person in the world. He always would, would have a kind word for me. He'd stand up for me. Uh, he'd back me up on stuff. He'd help me out when I was in a jam. He didn't have to do any of that. He wasn't even my supervisor. But he was just the nicest man. And, of course, everybody knew he was a Christian. And then the story will go, you know, years later when they, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them and they're, they're convicted of their sin and they realize, wow, what that guy had, that's what I want. That's right. When you can see somebody putting those kind of things into practice and living by scriptural standards, and then we, that's when we can put forward the concept that everybody is made in the image of God, mm. and that everyone has dignity because of, that. because of that, because they are made in the image of God. And what a great way to preach the Word without ever having to quote Bible and verse, I mean, exactly. Scripture and verse. Uh, I, I think that's a powerful thing to be able to do. And when, and then right there, you've, you're bearing testimony to the Word by that, and people will remember, gosh, why was his actions so different from everybody else? Well, it's because uh, he was motivated by his faith. Well, your research brought out that uh, uh, trust needed to be in, in fused into leadership. Tell me how that works. Yeah, trust is is really important in terms of creating that kind of uh, atmosphere where a leader will trust the people working for them so that therefore they will be trusted in response. I mean, it's a sowing and reaping concept. Um, I think there's often a lot of suspicion within workplaces and say, and there's, so there's a therefore a tendency to micromanage. Whereas actually instead, if we, we say we trust somebody, then it's going to be, it'll work back in our favor. Um, I think that one uh, one example of that is I remember uh, we were talking before the, the program about how, how I tend to travel, and one time I was driving from my, uh, my home in the Shenandoah Valley over to Virginia Beach on the other side of the state, 
and uh, my GPS got me to the general area where I needed to go. But then when I got to that specific location, it just kind of looped me along and I just ended up back where I started from and couldn't find where I was trying to go. And Very frustrating. Very frustrating. And, and it's that kind of kind of meandering leadership in organizations where you're not a true GPS that's not creating an environment where people can trust you to really lead them where they want to go. People are looking for a, a leadership where there is a clear direction, where there is a, um, where there are some definite values that they can point to, and, and it's without that kind of in place, there is there is a lack of tendency to trust. Just like my less my my ability to trust my GPS was certainly lessened by that experience, and I think that's often the case within within uh, workplaces today when people don't feel like they're really trusted and, and they can't really rely on the people above them to, to take them where they think they ought to go. So it's it can be a frustrating experience. Very frustrating. Well, if a business leader says, listen, I, I have to you know look over the shoulder of my people because they steal from me, they, they slough off, um, I, I, I can't trust them. Well, what do you say to that person? Well, if somebody who says the people are stealing from them, then I tend to wonder, what are the values of the organization? What are you teaching them by allowing them to steal? Uh, are, they, are there no, are there no uh, situations where the situation can – where they would be held accountable for that? Or just that maybe they just haven't been caught? Um, so there need to be repercussions. Yeah. They need to be handled fairly. Right, but they need to be handled consistently, is what you're saying. Yeah, and and I think it's a, a situation where where when things are taken, um, when appropriate measures are taken to um, to hold the line on a standard, I think that's where people can say, oh, okay, I, I can appreciate that, um, but uh, I think that just assuming that people are going to be doing wrong things, and uh, then that. That kind of demeans them to say, well, you're, you can't do any better. You're, you're always going to be stealing or whatever. Well, and you know, a great illustration of what you're talking about here, uh, Jesus uh, calls the Twelve, and uh, he works with them for a while. And then the day comes when he sends them out, remember, two by two, and he wants them to go preach this gospel. And he actually uh, – they, they discover they've got real power, like, like things actually happen. That's an awesome amount of trust to put on some guys that, frankly, he'd only known for maybe a year and a half or so. And, but, but he trusts them to go out and try their hand at this new, new, uh, new thing that he's, he's brought into the world, the kingdom. That's right. And, and so I think that trusting people, it, it's amazing what you can do when you create that environment of trust. I mean, like in our house, I mean, we just, our, our kids have just been raised to see just money just sitting around. Um, that I don't, if I have a $10 bill, I don't go hide it somewhere. I just, I might leave it on my dresser and it stays there. I don't ever, I'm not ever concerned about it disappearing. And my kids know that I trust them to, to, that I don't have to worry about that. Right. So I think that it's, it's the environment in which you create, the expectations that you have, and, and then and enforcing those in terms of how you actually do things on, on an ongoing basis. Well, this kind of brings us to this fourth uh, uh, quality that you're, you're trying to work on with leaders in their culture is this issue of transparency. 
Tell me where that came from in the research and how you got to that. Yeah, uh, it was really the, the fourth part in terms of communication. And it's interesting, in some of the uh, surveys I've done of different organizations, that they might score well in tenderness or in team or in trust, but in, inevitably it seems like there's always a breakdown in communication. It, mm. It's it's that there that is one of the areas that I think people really struggle with a lot is making sure that communication really gets out there to the level that it should be. So um, with that, uh, I, I think that it's really imperative for us to to focus on that environment, making sure that we are being as forthcoming with uh, information as we can be in terms of transparency, um, because we tend to learn better when we have somebody who is is uh, being authentic with us. Um, I was at a, a conference years ago where uh, I remember there was a guy who was on the stage and and I just thought because of his age he really couldn't teach me much because of he had less uh, life experience than me and so anyway I had a bad attitude about it so but anyway this kid I'll just say he's a kid because he was probably half right. my age um, taught me more than anybody else that whole conference because he was so real so authentic so transparent that I, I learned so much just from the way he handled things uh, because he was willing to, to be open. Um, well, it sounds like that transparency engendered that other quality of trust for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You so, know, if he was going to shoot straight about difficult absolutely. things, he's shooting straight about most everything. Yeah. And, and so, as you can see, all those four things really kind of relate together in terms of how they create a good environment. So do you consult with organizations then to, and leaders to try to build these things into their – Organizations, I do, I do, and, and really that that process of how that has come together really is uh, addressed in the third part of the book, mm-hmm. where there's f- that the culture that you create really comes down to four things that you can do in your organization uh, in terms of implementing all that, and it really comes down to what you teach, and what you celebrate, mm. what you model, and what you permit. Mm. So those are the four things that, that really end up creating a culture within an organization. So earlier we used this word intentionality, that, that the, 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 the way we do things around here isn't just an accident. Right. And it's not just uh, passive, you use the word active leadership, but that somebody's um, – it's not so much that they're working in the business, they're working on the business, right? Exactly. And they're trying to make this place an environment where, as we've said, the, the, the people thrive. Right. So in terms of – it involves then actually, you know, you have to teach. You have to make sure that people understand the values that you hold dear, that that, that organization is going to function in certain ways. you got certain parameters, and, and that can be done just in anything – any way. It can be private conversations, staff meetings, whatever. You can be teaching all the time. Uh, also, what you celebrate. You know, if there's something that you think is important uh, for you to be able to recognize, well, I want to have this situation be replicated. Well, it's the process of, of actually then looking for it, and when you see it, to reward it, and then to reinforce it in front of other people, right. uh, making sure that they realize that's important. And then the whole idea of what you model, I mean, you can't just say it. You got to do it. I mean, it's just you a matter of it. you have to live it exactly. It's a matter of of being the person that you would want to follow. Well, and that's that's the operative word there is follow. You know, the best definition of leadership I've ever heard is a leader is somebody who people follow. Like you can mm-hmm. have the title CEO, captain, whatever. If nobody's following you, you're not leading anybody anywhere. That's right. But on the other hand, if you're doing something that causes people to follow you, 
de facto you're the leader even if you don't have the title. And so what you, you're talking about with modeling, you're leading out so that people will follow in your wake. Absolutely. And it has to be that process of, of as, you, as you said, intentionality, um, making sure that, that they would do the things that they want to have done. Um, just a, a quick story. Uh, there was a, a guy I knew who was, um, who was leading a business in a country where uh, the boss was always supposed to be the boss. Right. He could never be you know, a, a, a servant. Right. You know, kind of some, and then, but no one wanted to wash the dishes in the office. And so one day he went over, the boss went over and started washing the dishes. And it freaked out his staff, like, you can't do that, you're the boss. But he did that specifically to say, if I, the boss, can do this, then you can do this. Sounds like Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Robert, I want to thank you for being with us today. And again, uh, Robert's book, Dear Boss, What Your Employees Wish You Knew, uh, you need to pick this up if you're a leader and read it through in terms of your culture. At the very end of uh, Good to Great, you mentioned Jim Collins, his very last paragraph, he says, human beings crave meaning. That's right. They crave meaning. But it's very difficult to have a meaningful life apart from meaningful work. And so the real opportunity for Christians who are leaders in the work world today is to create cultures where the people thrive and kingdom values are enforced. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.